Uh, Graham? Uh, damn it, I muted myself. <laughs> I was like, what What happened? Oh, Where is he? It bodes well, doesn't it? It I, does. I, I told you, I've got this I've got this like weird thing where my nose is running, and even when I'm not on the call, I'm like, got to mute myself, I'm going to blow my nose. Got to do it. And then, of course, I completely forgot to unmute myself. Yeah. This will be the first of many times this will happen in this episode, Jeff. Just <laughs> just get used to that. That or just the opposite. I'll think I'll mute myself, and all of a sudden you'll be deafened by me blowing my nose. Welcome to Drock, episode three. As ever, we're broadcasting from Mega City One. This time we're in Robert Muller. Open brackets. Is it too soon? Close brackets. Block. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Graham McMillan, and with me is my always more entertaining and more insightful co-host, Jeff Lester, who's going to prove this episode to be the exception that will prove that rule. I think. But see, I like this. You're already accepting that it is a rule. I like this. I think I feel we've made progress today. Uh, I think our session is really, really paying off. Indeed, indeed. I let me let me cut you a check now for the next five <laughs> sessions. Uh, this time we are doing uh, Judge Dredd: The Complete Case Files, Volume Three, uh, which is a very strange transitional volume. Yeah, as I think Jeff and I are both going to say on many occasions over the Star Wars Plus. Yes. A lot. Jeff, let's let's get into it. Yes, please. Let let's us. Just jump straight into it. Yeah. Drock episode one was the, the first Judge Red stories. Mm-hmm. And they had a an awkwardness to them. Everyone's clearly working out what the hell the strip is. Mm-hmm. And you could give it a lot of breaks because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of, like these stories aren't great, but they're the first Judge Red stories, and this is very exciting. Right. And then Volume 2 felt like a different series altogether because it was two massive stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some shorts at the end, but essentially it's like a collection of two massive stories. Yeah. And you know, one of the stories is Pat Mills' version of Dread, and one of the stories is John Wagner's version of Dread. And Wagner, in addition to being the co-creator of the character, is the one who wins the whose Dread, like, is Dread. Yes. But, Mm-hmm. You know, it's Wagner's conception of dread and the strip that that you know becomes dominant for pretty much that point on. Like you're talking mm-hmm. maybe a year in, mm-hmm. and Wagner is like, okay, dread is mine. Mm-hmm. This volume, volume three, is a lot of. Uh, it's almost all Wagner. First of all, mm-hmm. there's maybe three Mills stories towards the end. I think. Yeah, is that right? Uh, I, like, that sounds right because there's the blood of Satanus. Um, there's that's it. That, isn't that it for for the mill stories? Yes, probably. I can't remember. There's the one story about the judge who like basically goes bonkers, you know, and swears to kill the guy who like killed his like. It's, it's also Wagner. Because I thought Wagner. that as well. Okay. Yeah, there's a bunch of stories in here that feel like Mill stories, uh, I, but are but are Wagner's. I think Mills only does the Blood of Satana stories. I should say we're covering material from 1979 and 1980. It's 2008 Progs 116 through 154 this yes, time. Yes, right. I was saying before, Jeff, that you know you and I both read this and we're like, oh, there's no like this is just a collection of short stories. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's there's no through line. There, mm-hmm. There's nothing unifying here right 
And I'm I'm going to argue that's not true. Interesting. I'm going to argue that Volume One of of the series is the what the hell are we doing volume? Mm-hmm. Volume Two is who is Judge Dredd? Yeah. And Volume Three is what is Mega City One? Yes. Yes. Exactly. That 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 is the closest thing that I have to as as well. It's interesting because the the very the opening story in Volume Three, uh, Vienna is um credited to uh Wagner's pseudonym uh the John Howard John Howard but it reads it reads so heavily to me like a Mills uh right? story that I'm I would swear up and down it's got so many little ticks the, and beats it's so many Mills there yeah. th- like I said that appears all throughout this for example the the Walter's uh Squap book yes. stories there's two of those Feel yeah. very Mills as yep. well. I think so as uh, well. Yeah, the animal experimentation story feels very Mills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much. You so. know, there, there are yeah. a lot of things where things that I had in my unkind way been like, I don't like this. It's Pat Mills. Mm-hmm. No, like Wagner's doing it all here as well. Apparently. Unless he is sharing the John Howard pseudonym with Mills, which is not impossible, I guess. I but would not be surprised, frankly. John Howard, quote unquote, is is the writer of all but maybe three episodes in this book. Yeah, that's right. And John Howard is generally assumed to be Wagner. Yeah. We have talked in the past about Alan Grant being Wagner's like long-running co-writer. Mm-hmm. The volume four is where Alan Grant shows up. Oh, okay. Good and to know. might be wrong, but I think at that point, the pseudonym changes to T.B. Grover. Ah, which is Joined. another familiar, yeah, pseudonym, yeah. yeah. But no, it, it's true. Like, you, there's so much... There, there's a couple of things that happen in this book. One, it really is the book that lays out what sort of place Mega City One is. Yes, um, and there's a bunch of that. It's not just that you see stories. I mean, almost all of these stories are set inside Mega City One and Mega City One not under siege. Yes, that's the first time that's really happened in a, a volume of the case files or like a year of the comic. Yeah, because remember, even before the Corsair storyline, Dread was on Luna One. Mm-hmm extended period that's right you know like so so we haven't had that many mega city one stories for a while yeah but also there's a strange redefinition of dread again mm-hmm. in this where let's say that john howard is wagner and is solely wagner mm-hmm. wagner keeps going back and forth about who dread is mm-hmm. in a way that is utterly fascinating to me and and vienna is a really good example of that um vienna is a one-part story and it's based around the idea that an enemy of Dreads is going after him by doing the one thing, by basically attacking his family. Yeah. Uh, and the family he's attacking is Rico's daughter. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that Rico's daughter can't exist? They're like this amazingly contradictory to the backstory of Judge Dredd by this point? Yeah, or no, right? right, exactly. Part of me is like, how does that work? Like, how does, how does someone who was on a prison planet for decades have a six-year-old daughter? Yeah. I don't think it's ever explained either. I think they pretty much just like accept, oh, that shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. I just like never mention it again. But no, uh, so this villain goes after uh, Vienna, Denise, and you get multiple scenes of Dread being not only like the surrogate father to Vienna, but like being affectionate towards her mm-hmm. and caring for her. Mm-hmm. And that's something that comes up again and again in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the Walter Scott book stories is about a kid that um, Dredd essentially adopts. Mm-hmm. 
realize that he's fucked the kid up even worse. Well, first of all, it ends with Dredd realizing that. Mm-hmm. And, like, I tried to do the right thing, but I've just screwed this kid up really badly. And then it comes to Walter being like, and that's why Judge Dredd visits him every week to make sure that he's doing all right. Yeah. There's a, a story about uh, a character who goes insane because he he loses his job and all he wants to do is work. And Dredd sentences him to hard labor. Yes. You know? Or there's another story where Dredd goes out of his way to sentence the guy who's always claiming credit for crimes that he hasn't committed for giving false information. Yes. And it gets called out in the story where they're like, you've got a gold, like, you've got a good heart, Dredd. Yeah. And he's like, I know. And yep. this is like, this is nuts. Like, I, I understand that, again, it's very early in the strip. At this point, arguably 2008 still aimed as much to children as anyone else. Mm-hmm. But at this point, we've already seen Dredd be a bastard, right? Mm-hmm. We've already seen Dredd be unemotional mm-hmm. and, and cruel at times. Mm-hmm. And you introduce that Dredd has the emotional intelligence to care for these people and be kind. It changes Dredd because Dredd goes from someone who essentially can't be emotional to someone who chooses to be cruel to everyone. <laughs> you know? Um, it's so strange to me that you have and, – and I think the Vienna story being the first story in this collection yeah. really underscores that. Yeah. Because the, the volume starts with like Dredd like loving his niece. Yeah. And and making a point of like you know he will do anything and he he even says when he he gets the the bad guy at the end the one time in my life I want to kill someone mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and it, it, there is the idea of like you know he's not this this unemotional character mm-hmm. he, has, he has this actually very strong emotional mm-hmm. but then you realize like well I guess that just means if that's true if we just believe that's true. He just turns that off for everyone else. <laughs> you no, know, which is this weird, weird thing. And that, like I said, you get the element of like, Dread isn't this unemotional robot throughout this volume. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, maybe it's Rikon away. Maybe they, they'd like Vienna. You know, they just never mention it again because like it kind of doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But it recurs like it's, it's not as if it just happens in Vienna. It happens in like three or four stories throughout this book. Mm-hmm. And so you go from like you know oh well you know that that was that was early like they they, they you know they got over dread having a heart and then like a fucking talking cat is talking to dread and he's like animal experimentation is wrong oh, yeah. I'm gonna pass the law with my name on it mm-hmm. law animal experimentation yeah and you're like okay so dread does have a heart mm-hmm. and then you know two stories later he's like ha I think you're terrible and I'm going to ruin your life forever three stories later. Oh, this poor kid. I've screwed him up by mistake. I'm going to visit him every week. Right. This is a weird thing where it's like, what What are they doing? Like, are they getting editorial notes that are essentially just saying, you can't make Tread a bastard? I, I think that, to me, that's the closest. I do want to mention that since you laid all those motifs out so nicely, don't forget there's actually the one with the, uh, I think it's the story about the kid who's the child genius. Who, oh yeah, he, the one who declares himself king and yes, and, and Dread ends up like enrolling him in the Academy of Law. He, he, he rolls him to become a judge after he basically all but destroys the city. And it also has another thing of like, yes, it's going to be brutally hard on him, but 
you know, everyone's like, but you know, you're, you're, you're a good man judge for putting him in there, you know? And he's like, yes, I am. I think that, uh, so I, I definitely agree with you. I think that reading this through after Vienna, there is what, what looks like it's going to be a longer series of stories, but is in fact just a duo city block one, city block one and city block two. Exactly. And, and so to me, because for as as we were talking about, volume two of the case files definitely is like, is it going to be Mills's dread or is it going to be Wagner's dread? And Wagner has very different, diff, they but they have different conceptions of dread, and they also have very different ideas about like how to make dread work and. Wagner, who comes back with the Judge Cow story, is like, no, the secret is Mega City One, and and I think everyone else is always like, okay, let's put him off planet, let's put him in the cursed earth, and he's like, yeah, no, those things are kind of like great spices, but Mega City One does work, and it's it's what's interesting to me is it almost feels like Wagner has a much more solid conception of how to make Mega City One work than he does dread or like you said there's editorial notes and so wagner pushes the character in a direction and pulls him up short um you know of course we got some some great um feedback from from ford 99 on our first couple of pro uh, first couple of episodes and and the idea of dread as school teacher because we were talking about sort of the the idea that Mega City One is basically just filled with, you know, numbskulls and children. You know, it's very this is it's very much like like to me the most the best portrayal of Mega City One on TV or film or anything outside of the comics is, you know, the monorail episode of The Simpsons, you know, where it's no, like I, I, Springfield. Which... Yeah, I think that's very, very true. And there's multiple times in this volume in particular. Yeah. Where definitely. like that plays out. Yeah. And so I think the the idea that, that Ford touches on, Judge Dredd comes very close to being a a teacher in this. In the it's very easy to see him through that lens of A, he cares about kids, he cares about his kids, and he sort of he cares about you know, animals or things, but, but it's very much like those who are um, powerless are the people that he sees himself and he sees the law as being there to protect, but also to punish. In fact, I, it, there, there is a, there's an ending at one of the stories in here where he says, oh, is, it, is it the Clegg story where he talks about this having to protect the city from the innocents? Yes, Exactly. Where it's like, yeah, just just because they're innocent doesn't mean that that the law, you know, can't can't intervene to protect others or whatever. And it's it's very so. There's there it, it whether it's editorial or Wagner himself still getting a handle on what this means. Like maybe he's putting the brakes on himself as to how far he can get dread to go. Um, but like I said, there are things like Vienna to me is ultimately such a um, five page version of, you know, essentially an attempt to Marvel Comics, do Marvel Comics dread, 
you know, like there's there's the flashback page filled with Dreddian angst where he's like, how can I tell her it was me who killed her daddy, Rico, my brother? And it's yeah. It's practically I forget who's who's the artist. Is it Ian Gibson? It's on Ian this? Gibson. Yeah, yeah. It's Ian. It's Ian Gibson. I swear to God, doing the closest thing I think I've seen to to a Gil Kane panel. You know, where it's like the giant oh, head and the flashbacks moving around. I was going to say, like, it strikes me very much as like a, a romance comic. Mm, yeah, because yeah. literally, you get like Dread in the center having this angst with this like incredibly angst-ridden thought balloon. Yeah. At the same time, it's like literally in the top left-hand corner of that page, mm-hmm. it's Judge Dredd pushing Vienna on a swing. Yep. And she's like, swing me again, Uncle Joe. And at the very bottom left of the page is Dredd shooting Rico. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's immediately followed by Vienna saying, you don't kiss and hug me very much, but I know that's just your way. I love you, Uncle Joe. You're my daddy now. Yeah. I mean – Holy crap. Yeah, it, it really struck me as like a romance comic mm. callback as much as anything. Well, it, it could be. And that, that, of course, might be the reason why you and I are sort of a little more confused in the sense that, that Mills and Wagner both came out of out of the girls' romance, the girls' comics, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that influence is probably layered on there a little heavier. But uh, – but yeah, I think I think there's a lot in volume three that is Wagner basically laying down the here's how it's going to be, you know, and here's how it's going to be is that Mega City One is a character as as big and as complicated and you know absurd and frightening and and ambiguous as Dread himself is. You know? Yeah, and one of the things that is especially apparent in this volume is the Mega City One literally contains every single story that he wants to write. Yes, you know there are there is a wide variety of stories all set inside Mega City One, mm-hmm. and it's weirdly refreshing. Is maybe not the right way of putting it, but in comparison to the previous two volumes, mm-hmm. I all of Dread to this point. Yes, it's startling. Mm-hmm. because the series has in the past resorted to literally taking Dredd out of his environment in That's order right. to give him a different story. Yep. You know, and here Wagner's like, no, you can do this because, okay, there's city blocks. Yeah. City blocks have, like, are, are you know, what is, the, what is the phrase? Each city block was a city within a city. Mm-hmm. From birth in the city block hospital to death in the city block crematorium, it was possible for a citizen to spend his entire life without leaving his own block. Yeah. You know, and so he's literally saying everything is in these blocks, and there are multiple blocks like this in, in Mega City One. But you also have, you know, Judge Death appears in this volume for the first time. So you have horror stories, like outright horror. Yeah. You have like fake horror. Yeah. You have, you know, robots of Jack the Ripper running around. Mm-hmm. You have outright comedy mm-hmm. in the bong stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's all different genres are here. Yeah. All, all different genres are are possible within Mega City One. And Wagner manages to demonstrate that. I mean, I was thinking, I was reading this. Imagine reading the stuff week on week. Mm-hmm. This is coming out. Because when you read it en masse, like read it, it is, it's exciting. It's entertaining, definitely. It's enjoyable. But also there is something about, oh, I see the shape of this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I see what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. But imagine reading this week on week on week. I think it would just be amazing. Yeah. Like, because the quality of stories here is astonishingly high. I think so, too. I think so, too. 
Um, like it, it, week after week after week, yeah. Wagner and a number of great artists. I mean, the Mike McMahon pages in this volume are just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a run of like three Mike McMahon episodes in a row uh, towards like the middle of the, or the second half of the book. Mm-hmm. That is just every single page is astonishing, you know? Yeah. Um, but like you've got Boland, you've got Ron Smith. Mm-hmm. It, it's just the, the artwork in this volume is is amazing. And so you've got Wagner firing in all cylinders. You've got his artists firing in all cylinders. Mm-hmm. And every week there is an entertaining like six or seven page story. Yeah. That is, for the most part, done in one or two-parter. Yep. Um, I, I can't imagine reading it as it's coming out. Even though, like, I started 2080, like, maybe next volume. Mm-hmm. Like, really close mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, as I was reading this, I just kept thinking of, like, Eisner's spirit again. Yes. No, this one, you know, this volume in particular. Yeah. Yeah. There's yep. a period in Eisner's spirit where he comes back from the war. Mm-hmm. And like he takes over writing and drawing again, mm-hmm. and every single story is a classic. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean like every single one? And it's breathtaking because mm-hmm. he's clearly like he's right there. He knows what he wants to do, and his his skills are there. And every week, Eisner is like, "Okay, here's a classic story. Here's a classic story. Here's a classic story. Here's a classic story." Right. While also redefining the series, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Up to that point, he's like, you know, well, here's the spirit story. You know, there's going to be a crime. The spirit is going to appear. There's going to be some comedy. Yeah, Commissioner Dolan's going to appear. Like Ellen's going to appear. You know, there's probably going to be another femme fatale. The end. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then Eisner comes back from the war, and he's like, no, spirit can be anything. Like, it can be any sort of story I want, as long as they just have to have the Danny show up at some point. Well, and... and it's that, it's here that, that Wagner's doing the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very much... I thought of... I I think because you mentioned Eisner relatively early on in this set of... In this set of episodes, like back, back in episode one. But this time in particular, I really felt the... Okay. Like, they are... Because um, Wagner has a dour, darkly humorous sensibility and Eisner's got that strong sentimental streak, it's really – it's not an immediate comparison to make. But sort of when you see it, it's almost impossible not to, you know. It's in the way that, you know – as long as Dread pops up, the story can really be about anything. And in sort of, you know, City Block One, uh, which is uh, entirely about uh, Dread, you know, hollering at some citizen, notices some citizen doing something and hollers at him to stop. And what follows is just basically a five or six page sequence where the terrified citizen flees across all these uh, different aspects of the city block before finally getting tagged out. And of course, you know, dread was only chasing him down because he was littering, you know, is such a, I just had that thing of like, oh, this is honestly, for whatever reason, probably because of the sort of the layouts in the futuristic city and 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 a little bit of the narration. It sort of reminded me more of a, an EC story than, yeah, than yeah. Uh, Eisner's spirit. But at the same time, because it's because it because it is a Judge Dredd story that is also an EC story. It made me think about 
you know, uh, again, Eisner's ability to take his characters and put them into stories in unexpected ways or make the story about doing very, very different things of shifting the his main character from the foreground to the background. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's... Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, City Block 1 is a great example of this because City Block 1 isn't really a Judge Dredd story. Yeah. It's a story about the guy who's running. Mm-hmm. Like, Dredd literally exists in that story up until the very last, like, the, the last four panels. Yeah. As as the guy who's hunting him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, and it's all about what the, what the the guy being hunted does to try and escape. Right. Uh, and you see that throughout the entire thing. Um, mm-hmm. The Clegg story is another good example of that. Mm-hmm. It's not really a story about Dredd. Right. It's a story about the Clegg. Well, see... In a way, the about, I mean, I think that's... Well, yeah, that, that's true. It, it, yeah. I yeah. Because I think that is sort of important. The Eisner, if Eisner is doing a spirit story, it really is about the guy being chased, right? Like it yes, would lay yeah, out all this stuff. There would, there, and, and there would be like captions letting you know exactly what's going on inside. Exactly. And it exactly. would like make a point of like, literally, this is his story. We will tell you his story. Yeah. And in, in, in like Wagner does not do that. You're, no. You're entirely right. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- and I think that that is in some ways actually strangely crucial. Like part of why the stories are so effective is, is the way in which uh, Dread and other characters in it fall into... Uh, you know, tropes are are shorthand themselves, and that really just allows the story to progress and accelerate. Um, and and so there's there's a lot of ways in which the stories are about, you know, for lack of a better term, they're about the stories. You know, it's yes. like this is the idea. Here's what happened. Here's how we're going to focus on making it the best execution of that as possible. Like city block one followed by city block two is fabulous because even though it's a completely different set of citizens and you see them over the cross, the, the, the several pages, they're not really that much different from the, the one that we saw on the, the citizen of city block one, like, right. Exactly. Yeah. They, yeah, it's, it's it's literally someone driven to extremes. Yes, it is this you know nameless person. Also, the fact that it's Ron Smith. I like Ron Smith a bunch, but Ron Smith's characters all tend to look relatively alike. Mm, mm. Yeah, I can I can see that Smith is very interesting in this one because you know he starts off just so loosey goosey, and then as time goes on, he gets. I feel like he's being told or feels like he has to look more like Boland. Or something because I feel like some of his later layouts end up feeling a little more turgid. Whereas you know, I I wonder about that because I would say that there was a really heavy Boland influence for Smith in his first uh, episodes in the last volume, mm. and there is a a a famous potentially apocryphal story about Smith that essentially he had a, a, a amount of work that he agreed to do in his, like he set for himself mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. that, and I might, I may be misremembering them this, but it was essentially like an amount of money he had to earn, mm. Mm. you know? So like if his page rate was low, he had to do more pages per day. Right. Right. If his page rate was higher, he had to do less pages per day, which, you know, is, is charmingly Vince Coletta of him. True. Yes. Yes. But I think I, I, you know, 
the inconsistency of Smith, and I think Smith can be a really inconsistent artist. Yeah, I think so as may well. May literally depend on like how he made his money. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, is he literally just turning this out? Right. Because like he has to make X amount of money that month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could it could be. I don't know. I do I do love his stuff, but there was a certain point where I was like, huh, this is very different from what I feel we were getting earlier. But yeah, maybe that maybe that's it. Whereas of course Boland is still doing just amazing uh work of course all the way through it's the, it's... the boland artwork in this i think is kind of like the classic boland dread yes there are a couple of shots in particular of red in there that are just i feel like i've already seen them like on t-shirts and stuff oh completely yeah. Do you know what i mean like yeah. where you're just like oh you've got it like after after the stuff in the previous volume where every now and again it'll be off model like every panel in his episodes here 100 percent could be photocopied and pasted to how to judge our tread. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. At, at, the, at this point, he is the, he's the, he's on model, but it's also, I, you see so much influence there that it's like, yeah, he's, he, yeah, he is, he is the model, you know? Yeah. I yeah, really exactly. do feel yeah. like everyone well, especially, else's especially stuff. stuff. Smith mm-hmm. stuff in particular. It's funny because, like I said, I I love the Mike McMahon stuff in this volume, mm-hmm. but it feels curiously off model. You're mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he shows up and you're like, "Oh, that's right." Tread used to be super scratchy. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like, "Oh, yeah, I remember." Mm-hmm. Which again, I love. Like, I love McMahon's stuff. I think it's really, really good. But you're right, Boland and and this sort of hyper detailed, like exceptional amount of line work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Feel feels like it becomes like a dominant visual motif yeah. of dread. Yeah, uh, it's in this volume in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, that kind of works because this volume is Wagner and the artists going. This is what the strip is again. This is what Mega City One is. This is what to expect from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Wagner does that by going. It's a story about crimes in Mega City One and the policeman who is solving the crimes. Mm-hmm. And solving crimes can literally be literally chasing someone down or trying to prevent future crimes or whatever. It's never any detection. Never. Yes. Like yeah. if there's there's detection involved, it's literally I'll send it to my supercomputer. My supercomputer will come up with the answer. That's not the sort of strip it is at all. Right. But you're right. The artists are sort of coming up with like an aesthetic of dread mm-hmm. here, which interestingly enough is a million miles away from uh, Carl Sascara. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, like yeah. a million miles away from Carl Sascara at this mm-hmm. point, which mm-hmm. is fascinating. We're three years into dread, and and Sascara has almost been wiped out. As mm-hmm. a visual influence on this character, mm-hmm. but no, that these these are stories where where dread is being defined in a way that it never has been mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. but in a way that looking at it from today, you're like these are the these are the foundational stories. Yeah, you know this this stuff is just. I mean, the end of City Block One, Dread's thought balloon, feels like core Dread text. There are always the sad cases, the ones that should never come before me, but their crimes are no less because they are fools. Yes, exactly. And I think that is that is absolutely that that kind of becomes the mission statement is, is you know, Wagner's like, see, so Mega City One is a whole city full of fools. And once you do that, you get the. You get. The, oh, you can go anywhere. Well, you can go. Yeah, you it's, you can go anywhere, but it's it's also the um, how do I put it? It's it's like once the victims are the villains, like that opens everything up 
it no yes. it, it it manages to prevent it from falling into the cliche of okay who's the who's the tough biker gang this time you know exactly and, and there's there's a part there's a later story where dread does a crime blitz mm-hmm. on a guy and and they come up with nothing and that in itself is suspicious right is is equally foundational because dread essentially says everyone in mega city one is a criminal yeah exactly and if they've not broken the law this is suspicious yes like it's not so classic law, yeah if they've not broken the law, then they've really broken the law. Yeah. Which is, again, like the, the, the end of City Block 1 and then that statement. Mm-hmm. The statement that everyone in Mega City 1 has broken the law. Mm-hmm. And, and if there is no evidence of that, then they have definitely broken the law. <laughs> is, is, you know, at once funny. Yeah. And this, this really, like, it sort of underscores the incredibly dark comedy in Dread. Yes. But also really defines Mega City 1. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like these two things taken together is Judge Shred is no longer strip about he's a cop and he's dealing with bad guys. It's literally he's a cop and everyone around him has broken the law. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the degree to which that can seesaw between um, just some really, really absurd hijinks and or some uh, kind of uh, completely Orwellian stomach gripping uh despair you know it it's it's being rendered from the same impulse you know um yeah it's fascinating stuff I, and you know we talked about city block one being the the, the strip where the guy litters and then yes. proceeds to actually do what we would consider real crimes as a result of trying to escape like he ends yeah. up stealing an ambulance yeah you know um, but City Block 2, the story that immediately follows, is one of those stories where you read it and it seems different today. And there's another one later on that I'll talk about in a Ooh, bit. yeah. And I, you probably know which one I'm talking about. But City Block 2 is a story about a guy who loses his job to automation and basically just loses his mind. Mm-hmm. And there's something there's something great about that. Because like you said, the victims are the villains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, literally... He he's not a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's literally not a bad guy. He's a guy who has been pushed to the edge and has has, has snapped. Right. But he's not a villain as no. we'd recognize him. No, no, no. But in Red's eyes, he is. Of course, he is. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Well, and in fact, one of the things that's really funny is it's a six-page story, uh, and you don't get to the guy firing the gun until page three because to drive it home even you know more to the point you see all the people basically like the first page has a caption humans too long used to working could not adjust to the huge increase in leisure time and it shows three guys like beating up a cleaning droid and and when he's down like beginning to vigorously clean and yelling hot diggity we're working we're really working and the next panel is the judges arresting all of them and sentencing them to six months. And the one guy going, I don't care. It was worth it. I'll do the same thing when I get out. You'll never stop me working. And and so, again, it's like that's not the guy who is firing the gun three pages later. That is every single citizen in Mega City 1 as, as uh, Wagner is – you know, basically saying like, again, the victims are the villains and they are all being driven crazy by essentially too much of a good thing. 
You yeah, know? yeah. The the, fu- the future has broken people. Yeah, and it's 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 a wonderful. I mean, there's there's like two pages after that. There's the the wonderful caption. Uh, for some, there was work aplenty. The judges, over 750 crimes were committed every day in every city block, 87 of these being major ones. <laughs> and I love that it then cites that as Statistics Mega City Crime Survey, April 2095. <laughs> I love that. Because yeah. it's like, sure, that exists. But also, April 2095 is like four years before the strip begins. Mm, wow. Because if you think about it, That's we, we read a story mm-hmm. where the the 22nd century started in volume one. Right. That's one of the Luna One stories. Right. Okay. So that means the, the strip began in 2099. Yeah. That's genius. So it's, it's funny, yeah. that, you know, the how terrible Mega City One is statistics are four years old, or at this point, five years old. Five years out of date, as as those statistics always are. They're they're never yes. up to date. Yeah. But it's also great because, and again. You know, you have to be a fan of the level of, let's face it, probably no one reading Dread at the point this was published mm-hmm. to catch that, that, mm-hmm. it's, that it's out of date. Yeah. But there's something great in the implication of it's gotten worse because, of course, it's gotten worse. Yeah. Because you see in the story it gets worse. Mm-hmm. You see more people snapping. Well, see, that's it. The escalation that happens just between page one and page four, you know, is – dramatic it starts from someone you know a bunch of guys like beating up a droid um and sweeping you know criminally furtively which is is funny to the least funny thing that the 70s ever conjured 60s and 70s ever conjured up which is a lone gunman you know firing out of a building and so it's 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 city block two is is actually Almost every one of these episodes is a masterclass in economy of storytelling. Oh, and I've said, that, I've said that before about 2000 AD, and it's true. But these stories in particular, mm-hmm. you have so much in like six-page episodes. Yeah. So much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in this alone, Dredd arrests the guys who beat up – this six-page story. Dredd arrests the guys who beat up the robot. Mm-hmm. He then takes down a bank robbery mm-hmm. and – then gets to deal with the actual character that the story started with. Yeah. Yep. In six pages. And it doesn't feel rushed. It's amazing. It's genuinely amazing. You get through all of that and you get to the the Dunoir, which is Dredd saves the guy's life when he tries to kill himself. Mm-hmm. And sentences him to hard labor. Yeah. You know, and then says, it's not our job to care, but sometimes it's hard not to be touched by a special case. Sometimes even a judge can be merciful. So, okay, so I said there was two things. I said there's there's one thing in this book, which is setting Mega City 1 up. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come back to that. But the second thing is dread as exceptional judge. Mm-hmm. And I talked before about the... the Episodes where Dread is shown to have an emotional awareness. And more importantly, to be kind. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to offer kindness when he doesn't have to, when it's not required of him, when it's not expected of him. Which is, is really the definition of kindness. There's a story towards the end of this volume where, uh, where Judge Minty takes a long walk. Yes. And Minty knows it's time to retire because he realizes that maybe judges should be kinder to the people mm-hmm. it's explicit mm-hmm. very much so it means it's time to retire because he's thinking maybe they should not be policemen maybe they should be kind to the citizens mm-hmm. and on the one hand that cements the the idea uh that most people have about 
dread in the judges as a whole, which is they are, again, this emotionless force dedicated to the concept of law as they see it. Mm-hmm. But when you see Minty say that, and you realize that, like, that's what the judges are built on, mm-hmm. the kindness is to be denied, and kind thinking of offering kindness is is time to leave, is mm-hmm. time to retire. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that Dredd has repeatedly been kind throughout the book. And the Dreads, uh, and again, this will be abandoned to some extent for a long time, and I think eventually will come back. But the Dreads, maybe not his first impulse is to be kind, but it's an impulse that's pretty far up there. Mm-hmm. Then you really, it really underscores the idea that Dredd is not like the other judges. Mm. The Dredd is special. Mm-hmm. And part of that is Dredd's the protagonist of the script. Mm-hmm. Of course, Dredd is special. Right. You know, it's not called Judge Blah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's something has to be special about Dredd. And in later years, that'll become basically Dredd has served longest and has been central to all these big events in Mega City One, and everyone looks up to him. Mm-hmm. But this early on, what the exceptionalism is is Dredd is an aberration in his system. He's dedicated to the system. He believes in the system. He he really does. You see this repeatedly in this volume. Oh, yeah. But he also does not fit in the system because Dredd is kind at hmm. times. That's interesting. It's a weird thing that is like contradictory and kind of breaks the concept but also doesn't. Well, I, I sort of wonder I, – I see your point but it's – I, you know, it's funny because um, I I think I, – I see your point and I'm, I'm strongly inclined to agree. And yet at the same time, I think that what I would say – because the, oh, there's a lot of – there's there are these stories where it's like someone essentially – a judge lets their feelings take over and that mm-hmm. is – essentially wrong. As, as, that's verboten yeah there's, like, there's two different strips in here yeah where a judge lets their emotions take over and that is shown to be wrong yeah yeah exactly and and so i think i i would say that part of what makes judge dread the <coughs> the hero uh of of the strip is that he is such an exceptional judge and part of what makes him exceptional is that strange way of he does not separate caring from the law. You know what I mean? Like he's the one that comes out like when they're kind of like, oh, you know, you've sent me to 20 years hard labor. Yippee. And they're like, oh, judge, you're too good for people. You know, and he's like, I've got a heart of gold, you know, that kind of thing. There, that that dreads ability to care is entirely funneled into the work and the work that he sees when it is the punishment of the foolish as entirely um you know as caring at so i i would actually say that the difference is is that the dreads exceptionalism is is that uh that he he does not that instead of falling into the the fallacy of 
there's the law and there's your feelings, you know, and you shut off your feelings and you go to work and you do what has to be done. Um, dread very much is, you know, so quote unquote pure. He either can channel his feelings entirely through the process of the law and show people mercy by in, by inflicting the law on them or it's not that he shuts off he has to consciously shut off his feelings he has no feelings to shut off like uh, you know it was really there's a weird um uh you know i don't know about you but there's kind of a a, a almost like a weird rash or a set of hives that i get whenever anything moves too close to being like star wars the prequel trilogy and mm-hmm. um there's that that episode where where Judge Dredd, uh, like you said, more or less ruins a kid by he wants to be a judge so badly. Dredd goes and gets him into the academy. And uh, Minty, I think, is the one who says, like, he's a little too old. He's like five years old. Like we start this from much earlier on in order to make a perfect judge. And that's, you know, that's very, I was like, Oh God, this is like Anakin Skywalker all over again. And, you know, in its weird way, that sort of plays out um, because, because he's accepted at the age of five, he's still, he's too much of an independent thinker and therefore he's expelled and, you know, his heart's broken, which is interesting that it's such a, like, Everything about that story is like, here's the creation of Judge Judge Dredd's nemesis. You know what I mean? Like it's all, yeah. in an American superhero story, every single piece of that is like, because, you know, Dredd loved imprudently, you know, and, and took his better, put aside his better instincts. He creates his, his ultimate enemy. But in fact, in the way that Walter tells the story, what ends up happening is the kid leaves and again in that weird thing that makes you wonder if the editors snuck in and wrote rewrote the last panel like five minutes before deadline walter's like yes and you know everyone is so jealous because he's the kid who has judge dread for a dad you know because he he visits ronnie every week or something you're like that's Really not where I thought this was going to be. Exactly. Go. That's the end. Yeah, Ralphie. Yeah, Ralphie. I knew it was like oh, an R thing. Ralphie. Yeah, it's like... it's Ralphie. Ralphie. Well. Yeah, yeah, weird yeah. About... yeah. Um, no, but you're right. There's there's something. It it does feel very much like you know someone rewrote that that yeah, ending, that and point. then interestingly enough, tried to undo it because the very next panel after uh, Walter says that is a robot going guess just right into Heartless as they say, hey, Walt, on the contrary, he says, he's the exception that proves the rule. Well, yes. And a, you know, speech impediment aside, we've gone over this already, the idea that, like, Ralphie is the exception that proves the rule in the same volume that we've seen, like, Dredd as right. a, a niece that he considers his daughter yeah. is... It's really weird. Like it's genuinely odd. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. But it's, but it's one of these. It's one of these. Like first of all, it's one of the Walter scrapbook stories, which right. are feel like they skew much younger than everything else in this, with the exception yeah. of the the animal experimentation story, which again skews much younger than everything else in here. Oh my god! The and it's so strange story. to think all of these stories were written by John Wagner at the same time. Yeah. It does you know seem I mean? odd, right? Like, yeah. 
What? I was uh, the animal experimentation story. We should explain is a story where a talking cat recruits Dredd to look into a laboratory where animals are being experimented on to save the life of a literal guinea pig. Yes, and and not only does this happen, but the story ends with an epilogue where Dredd has, I think it even says like the next day, like. Passed a law that outlaws animal experimentation that bears his name on it. Yeah, the Dread Act. And part of me is, again, there's something about a caption being, like, wedged, like, that down, like, just jammed between Walter and the next prog that I'm like, I wonder... I, I honestly think that, again, there's a little bit of an editor who was like, oh, this story is too disturbing for kids, you know? Because it it does it's I I love this story I think that this story when I the, the Ralphie one uh no 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 the the one with the cat where the cat basically because you've you know you've got a talking cat uh and he's like and it's great he's like but I ain't got time to sit here chewing the cud I want to report a murder and there to me this the it what's astounding about this. Uh, little five-page, six-page story is it's a it's a perfect blending of you know sort of uh, radical uh, politics and DC Silver Age storytelling tropes like this one oh, to me oh, in oh, particular entirely yeah entirely yeah you know you know especially the the what happens to the scientists. Mm-hmm. Because of course it's it's not enough that the scientist is merely experimenting on animals. He's also trying to reintroduce the common cold into Mega City One, and the common cold's been killed off for so long that it will kill everyone. Yes. And the 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 climax of the story is the scientist gets infected by the common cold himself. Yep. Because the cat the cat basically like jumps on him and he, he stabs himself with a syringe by mistake. Yep. yep. Which you know. He stabs himself with a syringe and then, I guess, like, presses the syringe down. Yeah. Yes. Like, like, again, <laughs> don't think about that too much. Um, <laughs> but you're right. It is. It's very, like, you know, Silver Age DC or, or, like, EC. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it's very, very much sort of in that wheelhouse. Well, okay. There's there's EC, and, and I agree, there's an EC-ness to it. But I, I to me, every fifth panel in this is basically a Silver Age DC cover. Like you've got a talking cat on page one who uh, tells tells him that he's he wants to report a murder, but it hasn't happened yet. Like, okay, that's one thing. Then it's like, okay, it's, it's a it's a guinea pig, and then the next page is the cat is a lab animal and and is like, I decide when he dies, says the scientist. And Dredd's like, he's right, of course, the law has never been changed on this matter. My hands are tied. I take it back. Maybe it's not, wasn't an editorial decision. Like, it's really crafted towards that thing of Dredd is in the position of, again, it's like a Silver Age Superman story where it's like, Superman, help save me. I can't. You literally get that panel where the cat behind bars is like, you've got to save Monty. And Dredd says, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. And the cat from behind, still gripping the bars, is big, tough Judge Dredd, the toughest lawman in Mega City 1. What a phony. You ain't even got enough power to save a guinea pig. Again, like, Mort Weisinger must have been levitating somewhere when this when the script was being written. Because it's just such... 
there's so much in this that has that DC Silver Age thing of your like you, you know a an impossible outrageous thing and b your hero is refusing to help an innocent and c kind of your hero is utterly totally impotent and then on top of that you build in like three three bizarre things and the faux ironic denouement you know it's yeah. just yeah in it so to me it's i made a cuz i wasn't sure how we were necessarily going to be able to talk about this volume since it's a a million tiny slices of things so i just made a list of my five favorite um progs from from this volume and yeah the the monty and the cat one was definitely like in in the top 3 in fact we've covered a lot of ground talking about them because one of the other ones was uh, the city block and city one and two duology. So mm-hmm. you know. I, I've got to, before we move off the, the animal experimentation, Monty, yeah. one, I want to say my favorite thing about it, and this is not sarcasm or damning with fame praise is John Cooper, who illustrates it, draws the fuck out of that cat. Yeah, he really does. Like really John does. Cooper's cats should be yeah. studied by every comic book artist. Yep. It's a, like, he clearly has a cat. First of all. Yes. <laughs> like, created portraits of this cat yeah. but there are stunningly good drawings of a cat in that yeah. story absolutely like i i like cooper a lot as an artist cooper did another john wagner strip called one eye jack mm, yes I think back before dread yeah and and i remember reading either original episodes or reprints of that when i was good mm-hmm. and so i've always liked cooper's work but cooper's cat in this story it like made me stop every single time I saw yes. it. It's like yep. that's just a fucking amazing cat yeah, drawing. Absolutely, like, that cat is genuinely breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will, I will put images up in the show notes because the the cat in particular is great. Yeah. Just it's is really, really, really good. I'm really impressed. Mm-hmm. Okay, what are your other stories? I'm curious. Uh, so it it's basically uh the talking cat who wants to report a murder. I list the city blocks one and two uh, as a duology in one episode. There is um, Boing, of course, uh, which is uh, for for people who who don't know, strikes me as a very classic story of the very much again in the mega city one citizens are crazy about a new fad that is uh, uh, basically a spray on um, that, that puts a person inside a super ball and they're supposed to bounce around inside uh, these um, facilities. But of course, a bunch of, you know, ne'er-do-wells begin taking the, the super, you know, putting them, covering themselves in Boeing and bouncing off the highest buildings uh, in Mega City One, which of course are super high. And uh, you... and kill a judge in the process, which I love. Yes, the judge that gets kill killed. Kill a judge by landing on him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is and which... you like, I always knew I'd go down the streets, but not through like a Boeing accident or something. Yeah, and it, I think it's a woman too, which is a, which I think is also kind of interesting because there's a... uh, is it Cause Judge Parker? Has... This volume definitely has the first female judge, who is the one, or at least. Yeah, I think the first female judge in the strip is the one who gets killed and the other judge who is his partner turns out to be in love with her and goes on a rampage. Right. There's that one, but there's there's a few other ones where female judges pop up in the background like kind of saying stuff 
And it's the same one with Judge Parker here, I thought, where now, admittedly, this is based on my sort of like, oh, there's another female judge. Uh, And there's at least one time where I looked and was like, oh, no, that that is just dread being drawn in a a very attractive way to my eye, you know. But like if you look at the uh, the guess that showbiz, I don't know if that's Judge Parker or not, but that that's a female judge in in the background. Um, they just, they just have had, there's been a few points where there's been a female judge. Oh, this is judge pepper. No, judge Sweeney is the, is the female judge in the, you know, that's showbiz strip. So yeah, I, I'm looking at the boring strip now and honestly it, it's, you can't tell the gender of that judge at all. Uh, okay. Well, like it, it's, it's really, yeah, it, it's entirely unclear. Yeah. 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 Um, but of course this, this volume also sees the debut of Anderson. Yes, exactly. And Anderson is the the female judge that that where it does stick. Uh, So, right. So blah, 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 blah. So Boeing, I think, is a classic, classic story uh, to me, just because it's 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 incredibly goofy. And it also it's it's really goofy, which I kind of love. Yeah. Yeah, it's and you know what I you know what I love about Boeing as well, and this is the most minor thing, mm-hmm. but I realized on my second read through, and like it really stuck out to me at that point. And I was like, how did I never notice this before? But also, how wonderful is that? Boeing is always written in italics apart from the eye. Oh, that really? Oh my god, that yep. is so funny. It's it's B O. Oh, I see where like, you're going. You italicized. Mm-hmm. I is not italicized. Ng is, ital- is italicized, and then there's a registered trademark symbol after it. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. That that is it's pretty pretty wonderful. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. The the where the registered trademark comes and goes, it's it's just great. Uh, so anyway, uh, Boeing is one. Uh, the one that I feel is the most prescient. Uh, that like the 21st century threefer that I got, that I should say, which I think has three unbelievably great hooks, most of which actually now exist in reality, which is horrifying, which is um, there. It opens. It's a great opener where there's an enormous RV that is basically plowing through traffic. Dread jumps on it and finds the inhabitant is dead and has been dead for three years. And the car has just been going on cruise control, driving along on the, the highways around mega city one. And, but of course the person's been murdered. So dread has to solve a a three-year-old murder. Um, and as if that wasn't a strong enough hook, he manages to track it back to a, so again, this is like 1980, like I'm in San Francisco where San Francisco and Oakland are basically both on the one hand talking about all the things that they're you know doing for trying to build new housing units like Oakland in particular is like we're doing all these great things to make sure that people are blah 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 but they're also um taking stronger steps to get rid of people who are living in their RVs like there were tons mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. living in their RVs who are homeless, who have been kicked out of Oakland, San Francisco. It's it's this real problem with them moving, you know, basically kick, being kicked out of neighborhoods and, you know, one to the next. So although it's presented as the sort of the life of luxury, um, 
that's the first element that is uncommonly uh, connected to, you know, 1980 and 2019. The second part is, is that the person who was murdered had been on a reality TV show, which, again, is the sort of thing that is, um, you know, kind of a new concept in 1980, that there's a game show where essentially people come on and talk about their sob stories and on how, how unhappy their lives are and how much better their lives could be if people just gave them money and it's money yep. for operations. So they're not ugly. It's money for this or that. Whoever's got the biggest sob story essentially can raise money from the viewers. So there's, there's reality TV right there. And the third one is it's, it's cross between reality TV and basically go fund me. So, yes. And that sob story, the sob story two parter is, is my favorite uh, story in this volume as well. For that very reason, I literally was reading, I was like, this is go fund me. Yeah, exactly. It, like this is 100% go fund me. Yeah. People make a point talking publicly about how basically unlucky they are and how sad they are. Yeah. And then hope people send them money. Hope people and send them like, money. This, yeah. This this is like genuinely eerily yeah. strange. Yeah. Yeah. You just mix it in with sort of the American Idol, you know, top, sh you know, uh, X Factor format. You know, there's only one host and not judges, but it's, it really was like, um, it, it's just that one little story, which and is also like, just it's a two part story. It's paced like a boss. There's you know vehicular slaughter and you know chase scenes and all sorts of great stuff and a little more a little more classic detection than you get from a dread. Yeah, exactly. Because you because you get dread setting up a sting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I just. I, I just love it. And then finally, it's a really tough call for me as the the best story of the of, you know, of my five, because um, I love those first four so much. I was like, ah. I mean, it's either the Black Plague, which of the three mini mini mega progs is is probably the one that I just sort of enjoyed the most just as a reader. But, you know, in terms of influential, of course, it the Judge Dread, uh, Judge Death story is, you know, a classic that continues to reverberate through Dread. And I was kind of shocked to read it this time and be like, it's only three parts like it. Yeah, it, it yeah. all but wraps up just as it gets going, which is kind of crazy. And also, it ends with, with Anderson essentially being killed. Yes, exactly. And, and killed in such a way that it's the callback to Boeing earlier, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was amazing to me. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. It, to realize, like, I really had a moment of like, did Wagner know he was going to do this, or was he, did he just realize when he was writing the, the death storyline? Like, did he write Boeing to set this up? Right. Or, or did... You know, or or did he just go? I've got to come up with a way to end this. Oh wait, I've actually come up with the very best idea already. Right. But the callback is amazing at the end of the Judge Dredd story. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think that's one of the things that is, um, you know, how we kind of talked about how sort of like I I sort of like the bratty punkishness of he ain't heavy, he's my brother, and you were like, it's. It you know kind of like it's just too it didn't land for you it's too much yeah. yeah it's too much 
the fact that Wagner is take, takes like a three issue horror story that does more or less create Judge Dredd's mirror image nemesis in a way that's you know like it's got it's got all the earmarkings of a classic story that is horror influenced and ends with a shout out like is completely tethered in continuity to the most ridiculous story one of the most ridiculous stories in the volume is uh stunning like there's a few points where it's it's Again, uh, part of what makes me think of is the way that the Simpsons would occasionally throw in before it got, you know, before this became the, the, the whole point of the show, practically, they would have little background shout outs and callbacks to previous episodes. You know, it's like, oh, here's the big Aztec head that's, you know, it's still in the Simpsons yeah. garage. The, the, uh, it made me laugh when you got the classic story where there's the person who's trying to blackmail mega city one and he demands like whatever it is 10 million creds and he's like drop it by the war memorial statue and of course that's fergie you know from the judge cal stuff so it's you know a big doofus on a toilet you know and it's just that that made me laugh and i think actually the story where the sniper starts gunning people down I think there's it, it's got people like cowering behind that statue at one point. So it's just it's got it it uh, there, there, there is, there's a sense of place to yes. make a city one. Yeah, because of this. Right. There's a sense of place and there's a sense of continuity. But what is really interesting is how much Wagner and I feel like this again, I, I believe becomes a dread hallmark. How much. It's there. Um, it's you never you don't it's going to show up, but it's not taken for granted how it's going to be used. Is it going to be used as a joke or is it going to be used to drive home a larger, more, more subtle point? You know, or, or in the case of the Judge Stress uh, storyline at the end, like something that was the joke like boeing is i yeah. agree with you i think boeing is a great episode i think mm-hmm. it's really really fun and one of the things i like about it is it is very much the combination of ridiculousness and melodrama the dread especially in the early years does great yeah you know whereas it's it's literally like it's a stupid comedy concept right. with a spray people can create a breathable rubber that they use to make giant balls so they can bounce around in yeah. is dumb yeah. Like you then kill a judge in it. Yes. And you know, and it becomes like a public health nuisance that you have to outlaw. Yeah. Yep. But like that's a silly story. And it's an intentionally silly story and it's a fun story. But to then use that as the entirely logical denouement for your, your horror story. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is, is is another, you know, wonderful moment of genre switching. Yeah. For dread, mm-hmm. where you like you said, you know, you don't know how they're going to bring things back. They bring back the Clegg, and the Cleggs were again relatively comedy um, counterpoints in the Judge Cal storyline, right? But it's brought back for a horror story, yeah. You know, and a horror story that is Frankenstein. What I like about the Night of the Blood Beast, which is is one of my favorite stories in the volume, uh, along with the sub story story, is that the monster isn't the Clegg. Mm-hmm. The monsters, the citizens, mm-hmm. like the two, specifically the two citizens who find the Clegg, and one of them says, "Like uh, we'll have to report him." The other one goes, "No, darn, let's keep him. He's the last of the Cleggs. Once Cleggs have died down, he'll he'll be worth money, lots of it." Yes, and it's like, oh, they're terrible. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it, it's, again, Mega City 1 citizens are stupid and greedy, and they are, like, they are villains because they're shit, for one of a better way of putting it. Yeah. Like, they're not evil. Mm-hmm. But they are just flawed in ways that drives the narrative. Right. Uh, in, in almost all of these stories, I mean, you have, like, you know, there, there's the, the, the Black Plague, mm-hmm. which is a monster movie, which is a lot of fun. Yes, I, um, that almost made my list. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's this, there's the, you know, the the Black Atlantic story, mm-hmm. where like, you know, it's spies, mm-hmm. where, you know, one, both of which fall into like a, a more traditional category of evil, shall mm-hmm. we say? Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like Mega City One, all the Mega City One stories are driven by people just being flawed mm-hmm. and being greedy or being stupid right. or being scared. Yeah, and and that's that driving the narrative and i love that yeah do you know what i mean like it, it's you know I, I talked before about this volume is the volume where wagner defines what mega city one is mm-hmm. and that's baked into the definition yeah definitely. you know mega, mega city one is is a character like you said in this series wow. as much as dread but it's because the people inside mega city one yes are are flawed yeah deeply are, deeply are, flawed Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's so fun. It's such a it's also a very sophisticated narrative engine for this series. Yes, you know, and we've had at this point two volumes of people trying to work out who are the antagonists in a dread story. Mm-hmm. You know, so with varying degrees and and to varying scales. Mm-hmm. Like is it a plague that involves tra- you know crossing hell to deliver the 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 uh, the antidote? Mm-hmm. Is it uh, a despot who's taken over Mega City One. Right. Is it someone in space? You know. Mm-hmm. No, it can literally just be people who are not particularly good at life. Right. What well, people? Right. Exactly. There's so much of it that has to do with people being bored. You know, like which is which is a motivator all of us can understand, and yet it just gets turned around to such ridiculous horrible extremes and as the city block 2 story really makes clear mega city one is set up to drive these people to these extremes yes yeah no exactly exactly which again seems to be um pretty remarkably prescient in a way you know as well i i say it's prescient but in fact it was around the time in the 70s and 80s where <clears throat> there were studies that were being done that suggested that part of what's driving everyone crazy is, you know, is the, the, the urban – the problem with the urban condition was the fact that people were in urban centers, you know. And it, it makes me wonder between the animal studies story, I, like I should check it out. Did you ever hear of or read a novel uh, called Dr. Rat by William Kotzwinkel? No. So Dr. Rat, uh, I'd have to see which what year it is. It's told from the story of an intelligent genius rat that is – completely insane from the amount of scientific experimentation that's been done. him. he's a rat in the lab. 1976. 1976. Okay. And I, I like, I had friends who turned me on to it in like 1981 or 82, but 76 sounds like it would be kind of a perfect, you know, it's not inconceivable that you could have Wagner in there. And one of the ideas is that, you know, Dr. Rat, part of why he's in, 
sane is because these animal lab people have done the studies where rats being forced into series like um, high states of overpopulation go crazy and turn violent and irrational. And uh, it does make me feel like, you know, like, yeah, maybe Wagner's got that in mind, because as you said, it's definitely Mega City One is one of the biggest problems for the citizens of Mega City One. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, another of my favorite stories is the Omticanti story. Yes. Wow. That's an interesting. That was one of the few stories where I read where I was like, OK, what's the context in this? What I don't. This has got to be. It seems so specific. So yeah, that's a that's a great. Do you want so, to summarize it? Uh, um, the candy very basically is there is a someone who's made candy that is so good it's literally addictive. It is so addictive that when they give it to the computers to analyze, the computers like there's nothing wrong here, <laughs> but you should give me another candy just so I make sure. I love, love that. <laughs> I love that. Like it's so addictive that the computer is like, mm-hmm, give me some more candy. Um, <laughs> And the, this leads to a shortage of the candy, which leads to riots. And the, the end of the story is they just exile Gumpty, like the guy who made it, into space. Yeah. They're like, okay, the ability to make this is too dangerous. You have to leave the planet now. Yeah. Which is, is amazing, right? Yeah. And it's, it's also amazing because he's dressed like Uncle Sam. Yes. That's what I can't fucking get. That's what is – it breaks my brain every time. Um. Is... Like there's, it, it's so so strange. Yeah. And he actually says like I haven't committed any crime. And Dred's like I'm sorry, citizen. Sometimes it is innocent who must suffer. We couldn't risk having him on Earth if people find out he's still alive. They force the secret out of him. And what is one man to eight million? Eight hundred million. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And it's just, I mean, wow. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uncle Umps Umpty Candy, the sweet that was too good to eat. I mean, again. The thing that I think is fascinating about this story is it, it if if as we suspect there are parts of the stories where it feels like editorials kind of like uh, you got to pull it back it's getting a little too dark you know or or even in a way it's like dread he's a friend to children and kind of like there's stories where it's like okay it's kind of you know keep in mind that your audience is you know between eight you know eight and 12 years old or something like that, eight, 10 and 14, maybe. And having a series in which you've got a crying old man and judge dread saying, I'm sorry, citizens. Sometimes it's the innocent who must suffer is it's dark. Yeah. It's, it's a huge. And of course, uh, right before that to underline sort of part of what we're talking about is um, Christmas coming early to Des O'Connor block. Oh, where, which is it's also amazing. Yeah, where a, where a robot, a, a, a computer, basically sends messages to people to make them have a good Christmas that are just lies, including telling someone that like his murder is legal, which I love. I love that. Wasn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> and then like the person's disappointed. They're like, "What about your letter? You said it could murder people," which I love. Yeah. But it, it, but like the so it's it's comedy until you get to the last page mm-hmm. where. Where someone goes, my little girl got trampled. Can you bring her back to life? Mm-hmm. And the computer's like, sure, can I? I want you to be happy. And the person goes, you're lying. You can't do it. Damn you. If this is happiness, make me miserable again. Which is, again, really fucking dark, Jeff. Yeah. No, it absolutely is. I mean, it's sort of, and and I think it is the, it's sort of the, the counterpoint to what we're talking about is 
the Barney, by trying to make these people happy, to an extent, he's lying to them. And of course, a lot of them are dumb enough to actually believe it until the the in, inconvertible truth is basically shoved in their face. And I think I think that's a that's a hugely compelling message in a piece of escapist fiction that that Grant is saying is it's like, no, you can't. You can't, you can't make human beings happy. Like human beings are fallible. Like there, it, it really does get into such a, you know, it, if it all witty satire aside, it is an it is an unbelievably dark concept of human nature. You know, people will never be satisfied. Like that, it just sort of seems like kind of a that's that's the story right before you know the story where the candy maker is shot into space because the innocent must suffer because essentially human beings can't really truly ever be happy. Yes. You know, is it, is it, it, essentially I, it's, it. the two, the one, two bunch mm-hmm. is, and if you think about this, like these issues are clearly being released like Christmas new year. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, Holy shit, that's dark. But also, it's literally the one to punch of this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Although, I, I do want to mention, like, the the it's easy to gloss over. But the whole point is Barney is telling everyone it's Christmas. It's not. Like, everyone is celebrating Christmas. Now, it could have been released on Christmas, which would make sense. It must but... have been released the week before Christmas because yeah. the next week is the Empty Candies. And then the week after that is a New Year story. Mm, okay. Okay. So it must have been released like in the Christmas like run up. Right. Cuz even that, even that's got the very silly, you know, the story hook of dread being like there's just one problem. It isn't Christmas. You know, it's just like ah, uh, it's 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 all like really genius stuff. Um yes. I mean, it's really the, it, okay, I'm saying all this, but I have to ask. Mm-hmm. The the last six stories in this issue in this volume are the three-parter Dread, and then three-parter Blood of Satanus. Right. Tell me you thought the Blood of Satanus is, like, just a terrible place to end the same way I did, right? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. It's – it's and again, kind of a little bit of the uh, – you know, like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a completely false narrative, but it's one that I cling to. Like, volume two is, you know – Mills and Wagner going head to head. It's basically Rocky one, I guess, you know, no, I guess not. It basically Mills loses, but in, in something that, you know, you could have fanatics saying is like kind of a split decision as uh, Matthew Miller points out, uh, I think to us on Twitter, didn't throw it on our, one of our threads. Um, I'd overlooked the part in throw power overload, which you and I have both read that um that says that the cursed earth ended up ending arbitrarily because uh essentially i think it's um was it overlord was being folded no, Star-Lord, in yeah star lord was being folded in and yeah. they, had to, they had to um they wanted a, a first part right the first part of a new dread story so you know are like what the hell the wrap up is so perfunctory so there's a little bit of the idea of like here's mills he's coming back He's got Satanus, which he actually, you know, did kind of a great job with uh, the first time. Um, and the blood of Satanus is a ridiculously terrible story that is leavened by some really great Ron Smith storytelling stuff. But especially after coming 
on the heels of Judge Death, where it's like mm-hmm. these here you have again these two dread heavy co creator influencers both doing dread mega city one monster stories mm-hmm. and you know it's it's an unfair competition it really is oh completely it completely is because by this point wagner is so on top of his game and what he's doing and part of it of course is bolin ron smith does some wonderful stuff in the blood of satanus that i just absolutely adore lots of close-up shots of the peeping scientists, lots of shots of eyes throughout the whole thing. But it's, again, it's basically fucking Judge Dredd doing a Spider-Man the lizard story. You know what I yes. mean? Yes, like, yes. And that... 100%. And so it just... It, it just... It just flops. In a way that back before Dredd was... As established, it wouldn't have seemed like such a huge, you know, colossal five blocks slid on, sliding in on your face kind of thing across concrete. But ne- but it's really, really brutal, brutal coming at the end of this. It so. really is. And it's kind of like its placement is is almost like a cruel joke. Yeah. Because you have had Wagner just be on fire for the rest of the book. Yeah. Like it, the the storytelling he's doing and the breadth of storytelling and the world building, like Wagner does not put a foot wrong for the entire volume. Yeah. And then it ends on Mills, who A, is not in step with what Wagner is doing in Dread, and B, is just writing a subpar story in the first place. Yeah. And it's just like, it's awkward. It really is kind of sad. It's like, as if to underscore that Mills' is Dread is not Wagner's. Mm-hmm. Like he, here's Mills really just like stepping on his own face. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. So I get it. Was, it was painful to read uh, on a number of factors, um, which is, which is interesting because it really is. Like you said, there's other progs throughout that. I was like, I would swear this is Mills. Like Mills's DNA does not escape dread entirely. You know, like there's a, there's a lot oh, yeah, of stuff all, like in there. All, Basically, everything that seems aged down, or honestly, where Dread seems to have too much of a heart, I was like, that feels like Mills. Yeah. Yeah, too much of a heart. And also some of the um, – I, I know that both uh, Wagner and Mills worked on action. But some of the some of the big – particularly, like I said, I love the Black Plague. The Black Plague seems um, more, more Mills – than Wagner in yeah. some of his in, bits and in pieces. part because we should actually, we've mentioned the Black Plague a bunch and we haven't yes. actually said what it is. The Black Plague is essentially a return to the Cursed Earth story. Um, there is, is it spiders? Uh, they are, they're spiders. The yeah. Black Plague uh, is literally It's an spiders. infestation of, of mutated spiders yeah. that, that attacks the Cursed Earth and the Cursed Earth are like, oh, well, we're all dead then. And someone's like, no, I've heard of this hero who will stand up for right, right? Like you have to go to Mega City One and get Judge Dredd. Yeah. And again, this is another moment of Dredd is exceptional mm-hmm. as, as Dredd is being somehow because the the um, the Mutie and his talking horse Henry Ford. A, I love the horse is called Henry Ford. B, I just love the horse in general. Yes, the absolutely. Horse is so great. Mm-hmm. He's a sarcastic grumpy horse called henry ford which i love they get to make a one and they make their case and one judge is basically like oh whatever we don't care about muties 
and Dread is like, no, we listen to any innocent, and it's always worth checking out. Yeah. Which again rings almost false, mm-hmm. but is nonetheless very interesting. Yeah. You know, it, it, it and and it's, again feels like it is is pointing out Dread is not your traditional judge. Yeah. Dread, Dread something more. So Dread goes back to Cursed Earth and, and basically deals with the the spiders, except he doesn't. They end up attacking Mega City One. Mega City One think that they destroy them. The spiders actually burrow into the ground and then come up in the city. And it ends with a genuinely like dramatic moment, which is really glossed over, which is they nuke part of Mega City One. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They nuke it and. And it does have that moment that to me is also a little bit of a here's where here's where we're going to go with dread later is, uh, you know, is is dread says to the horse, you can go back home now, Henry. The Black Plague has been cured at last. And he's like, "Uh, sure, judge, mind answer in my question first or one question first. Are your cures always so drastic? And it's like bombed out buildings. And it's kind of like. Uh, yeah, uh, in fact, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Well, what, what's also funny is we are, at this point, two volumes away from the Apocalypse War. Right, exactly. Well, how can you not think of that while looking at it? I haven't even read the that story, and I thought of that here, you know? You know, and it's it's so interesting to see, like, I mean, literally, they order part of the city nuked. Yeah. It's not, and they're like, you know, we'll have to just raise the entire sector. There's not even any mention of, like, how many people are in the sector or anything. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's so dramatic. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it's just amazing. Yeah. But, oh, Black Plague is a great storyline. You're right. Yeah. But, again, it set up feels very millsy. Yeah. The setup... you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it feels like it could fit in with something like Invasion, mm-hmm. you know, from, from early 2008. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's very much, there's a couple of scenes where also, uh, you know, where, like, people are like, oh, God, spiders are biting my eyes, you know, that is a very direct form of, you know, Mills as editor loving animal violence, you know, and just never being far from it in action in early 2000 AD. You know, it's just it's straight out of we're right back to to God. What were those rats called in the cursed earth? You know, oh, shit. Yeah, I can't remember, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, the devil's garbage cats or something you know it's just it's like yeah devil's garbage cats that's exactly what they're called (laughs) thank you graham anyway something i do like about the black plague very quickly is also a it feels like wagner is being kind enough to pull mills's cursed earth into continuity if Mm -hmm. that makes sense and i like the idea that because of everything that happens in the cursed earth dread has now become a mythical figure there yes yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there, there's something. Exactly. There, there are many ways in which this volume feels like the first Dread volume to have continuity, mm-hmm. and like the series to be old enough to have continuity and mythology in its own. Right. Um, like Boeing, the use of Boeing at the end of the Judge Dread story is actually yeah. one of. Them. Yeah. Um, but the idea that Dread is a mythological figure in the Cursed Earth because of what happened in the Cursed Earth storyline, yes, like really works for me, really resonates for me, and seems like a very nice way of of pulling that back you know oh yeah well that and i i thought that um you know you see someone again i feel like mills labored so hard to try and bring in um i don't know 
you know, mythic and continuity and sort of story concepts. But when Judge Minty goes out, is it Minty who goes out on the long walk? Yeah. At the end, I mean, that's just that throwaway panel, that little ending of like, he's going to go out and walk into the cursed earth and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's fucking great. Like that. And I think that's part of what I do love about Wagner is, is like, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't throw out any ideas. I don't feel like it's, you know, his whole point about dread being in Mega City One isn't like, oh no, it's not that the cool cursed earth isn't cool. It's just, it's like that's not what I want to do with the series. It's not what I want to do with the series, but also when I do bring back with the cursed earth, it's going to have a little touch of the mythic to it. It is, it's going to be super fucking cool. Whereas, like, if Mills had somehow ended up on on the book at this point, like. You know, we would, it would have been, we would have been balls deep in Cursed Earth, you know, by this, by this point in, in the. Well, something else, you know, you said Wagner doesn't throw away stories. And this is jumping ahead significantly. Mm -hmm. But like the curse, the long walk here is pretty much like a, you know, a dramatic end to a story. Yeah. But as someone who grew up reading Dreads and has read a lot of Dreads, I couldn't read that without going 10 years from now, Dreads going to go on the long walk. Right. Right, exactly. You know, I, right? Like he's literally bringing things in that ten years from now yep. are going to have a really dramatic effect on the series. Well, and that's and that's what I love is is that it's it it seems dramatic, like it's like a cool dramatic ending that sort of touches on the mythic, but in the sense of because it's the very last panel and you're like, oh shit, what's going to happen? It really fires up your imagination, and then Wagner is going to come back to it. It's just that it is it is a um, really beautiful way of starting to think of continuity outside of the really, you know, if A, then B kind of superhero continuity thing. It's, it, yeah, it, yeah. It gets a little closer to the little mythic bits and superhero stuff that were the things that you were always told about, but, you know, kind of didn't see. And then Wagner, it seems like, sits on it until he really feels like he can deliver on it, which is amazing. One of the things, and it was actually the Boeing reveal at the end of, of Death, the mm -hmm. Just Death storyline that made me think of this, is I'm really curious how Wagner writes. Mm -hmm. Because the Boeing callback is such a surprising thing. And it's such a logical thing. Yeah. The, that I was left with, like, did he write the, the earlier story knowing right. that he was doing this? But also, like, you know, Minty does the long walk. And, you know, 10 years from now, mm -hmm. Dread does the long walk. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he puts in place all these – and we'll see this more and more as the strip goes on. Mm -hmm. You know, like, he will introduce in the mid-80s PJ maybe, who he will bring back for more than a decade mm. on an irregular basis mm -hmm. as a recurring nemesis for Dread. Right. But, like, really, you know, in ways that are entirely irregular. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not, you know, did he have the idea of, like, I want to break use this character a lot? Or or was it just like, oh, I, you know, I've got this thing out there, and I've suddenly thought, that would be perfect for this. It's, the more you study Dread, the more you pay attention to Dread, mm -hmm. and the more you see, like, the web that that is Dread's mythology, much more than continuity, a mythology of it. Right. You start wondering, like, how much of this is luck and how much of this is Wagner like having a remarkable long game that don't get me wrong, I'm sure he's willing to like walk away from at any moment. Right. 
but also it's just like I can use this deadline. I'm going to remember this. Well, you know, I, I it's it's a good question. It's a really really good question. It's probably somewhere in between. But I think for myself, because you know, people like even someone like me who only has a very cursory knowledge of Judge Dredd knows that Judge Anderson is a very major supporting character in Dread and is a semi-successful spin-off character that Wagner like has tons of uh, affection for and loves writing and you know she's dead at the end of this first story and it's kind of like wait what you know like so there are times or um reading <coughs> some of Judge Death's later uh appearances where I'm just like Oh Jesus, you know, like I I think I feel like I feel like he 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 sort of str- sort of throws things out there and then he, he has a very good sense of what sticks for him. Like, you know, so it's it's I think he plants this stuff not necessarily knowing if it's going to pay off. He's just doing things that I think is cool, but I I do think that he's kind of like, you know, Huh, that the the female judge stuck in the the Boeing stuff. I kind of wish I'd done more with her, you know? Like Yeah. So, but I mean, who who knows? Like we'd have to corner the guy and I don't even necessarily trust him to be Oh yeah, I, I fully expect that he would not give a straight answer. Yeah, completely. You know, I I just I but it's it's fascinating because I'm part of this is Wagner is one of the few if not actually on, like the only mm-hmm. creator who's still actively writing a character 40 years after creating the character. Mm-hmm. And there's never been a relaunch or a revamp. Right. Or honestly, a significant period of time when he wasn't connected to the character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a period in the 90s where he's not writing for 2008, but he is writing for the magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then eventually he takes over the 2008 strip again. And, you know, these days, it's a very rare appearance in 2008, or the magazine for that matter. But he's still very present. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, a Wagner story is a big deal. Yeah. And you get the feeling that he's still... Like, you've, the other writers have talked about this. When he wrote Day of Chaos, like, 10 years ago or so, mm-hmm. he, he, you know, this is not a spoiler because it's so vague, but Day of Chaos significantly changes the mythology of Judge Red. Mm-hmm. Like... Dramatically so, more so than any other of the many mega epics. Right. And he apparently gave the other writers a heads up that it was happening, mm-hmm. but didn't give them details. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where, like, stories had to be rewritten that were immediately following his. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't quite make sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, like, Wagner is genuinely one of the – you know, I the only thing I can think of that's close, especially these days, is, like, Starlin writing Thanos. Mm. Yeah, that's actually – that that would be the closest thing in a way almost. Yeah. But, like, A, Starlin has – that's been very regular. And, B, Thanos is not really a major character. Right. No, not Do you know what I mean? Like, Thanos, Thanos is mm-hmm. allowed to go away for, like, a decade. Yep, yep. I mean, no longer he's in the films now. Like, we're, it's all Thanos all the time from now on. Yeah. But, like, you know, between whenever Marvel 2 and 1 came out and the Infinity Gauntlet, mm-hmm. like, Thanos essentially is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's Wagner's in this very strange place, but it makes Dread so fascinating as a result. Mm-hmm. You know, because you do get callbacks. 
I mean, one of the things reading this because of that, one of the things reading this book is there are at least two things there where I was like, I wonder if Wagner ever picked this up again. Oh, me do too. We ever, do we ever see Ralphie again? Yes. Do we ever see the, the, the kid who gets enrolled in the, the – Exactly. The, the law again? Because again, Dread takes place in real time. Yeah. Yeah. No, so exactly. Like somewhere in the mid-90s. Yeah. 20 like years those, later, shouldn't someone have brought him? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah like something's happened to them yeah like there's a story there somewhere if someone that was right if they haven't already written it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah no exactly you read this stuff and it's just it does it just seems littered with great little because it's still plain and i think i think i suppose that that is the uh, it, it's dread plays i think with a form of i don't know what the right word is I guess ambiguity or the unexpected, you know what I mean? Like you don't know that you're going to get an incontinuity story when you pick up an issue 2000 AD. I mean, you know, incontinuity, like if you're, if, if it's the end of a storyline. Yeah. Is it going to be like, you know, a, a one-off that's light and funny, or is it going to be like, you know, the chief judge resigns? Right. But the thing that's crazy about it is because of the, the groundwork that Wagner's laid, the one-off funny one could be the one that actually has a bizarre continuity callback, you know, as we see here with Boeing, you know, or it could have an even bigger impression or it couldn't. And so I think there's a lot of unexpectedness that you can still get out of Dread that really allows for that idea of everything's the same until it's not. You know? Yeah, yeah, and very much, and that is that I think is a a form of pacing that that a lot of other comics um, would would kill to be able to have because I feel like it, it again in my own weird um, brain pan. There's a way in which it is. It seems like a step a a a, a weird hybrid blending of the DC Silver Age where everything was the status quo was reset every time and the you know the the marvel bronze age like everything is you know the 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 illusion of of progress you know it's like you get real progress and you also get that weird feeling of like these stories are timeless and this could have kind of happened at any point in dread's history except for the points where you realize, oh, no, wait, it totally can't. And it's built on, you know, like there's a reference in there that's, you know, going to go back like unsee, 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 unsee bits, you know? It's really is. It's a fascinating achievement. One of the things is, uh, and again, I'm jumping ahead to the next volume, like the sob story, two parts that we both really liked, Mm -hmm. Otto Sum comes back a lot. Mm. And you wouldn't expect that from that story. Yes. Yeah. Huh. You know? And and it's great because because especially by the end of this the this volume, mm-hmm. that feels natural and organic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Mega City One now feels like the sort of place where you may never see someone again, but you're equally as likely to see people a lot. Yes. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which again yeah. has a Sorry. weird comparison to Real life or life in real life in a big city, you know? So, yeah. yeah. 
It's 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 amazing. I mean, I cannot. We we've talked at the end of previous episodes of like you know, would you recommend this mm-hmm. volume to a newcomer? And I would wholeheartedly recommend this volume. Not only would I recommend this volume to a newcomer, I think I almost feel like this this volume should be recommended to any um, new writer in comics. You know, because I think oh, that wholeheartedly, like what Wagner does in these stories is is nuts. Yeah. There's just so much where the pacing is phenomenal. Like we didn't even talk about, but even like a little joke throwaway story that is about Dread escorting the head of a mobster um, who's like going to rat on the rest of the his organization. Um, and the mobster has this annoying habit of doing uh, imitations of movie mobsters in the course of the story. The the pacing with which Wagner breaks out the blah, blah, blah. See, no, I'm just kidding. That's me doing a line from et cetera, et cetera. Like it's, it's really funny, but it's just, it's really sharp, sharp in its pacing. And um, this is a, this is a thing that you and I tend to fall into. We're both, we both tend to talk about comics uh, from the writing angle, but Graham mentioned it. I really want to reinforce it. I think the art here is phenomenal. Not only do you get Boland doing incredibly, um, like, you know, really just archetypal Boland artwork, but I think I I continue to have such a fascination and love affair with Ron Smith's work. Um but I, I, I really do dig but yeah, this. Yeah, but you also, you also get like Dave Gibbons. You get right. uh, Mike McMahon. You like th- this is this book looks amazing. Yeah, it's really, really good. There's a Brendan McCarthy story, which is really fun uh, because it's it's you know before McCarthy's really developed his say, style. It's unrecognizable as Brendan McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you look at it, and what kind of what I love about it is there's that sort of you know, newcomer energy to it. And it's also like, you can tell that is a guy who drew a lot of dread before he got the job. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Everyone else looks different and has that kind of strange, almost underground comic book, you know, inking style. And then you get to a couple of panels of dread and it's just, and like you said, it's Boland's dread. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah, very yeah, McCarthy's so. drawing Poland's Dread very, very much. Yeah, um, but no, the, the the art in this book is is absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, genuinely, genuinely, just breathtaking stuff. Yep. just all through the book, everyone, everyone is is amazingly good in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this is this is by far the strongest volume of the series. Yeah, but also even looking at it outside of that, this is just an incredible volume of comics. Yeah, I think the so imagination too. on show here, the the world building on show here, the the artistry on show here. Yeah, is just. I mean, this is stuff that people should study if they want to work in comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I absolutely think so. I think so. It was a great read. Jeff, guess what's happening next episode? We're heading into another mega epic. Really? Yep. Immediately with the start of volume four, it's the Judge Child Quest, ah. which I uh, on the last episode called the Curse Stories by John Wagner, and mm-hmm. I stand by that. <laughs> and I want to see what you think. I'm very curious. I'm very curious. I thought it was very interesting. Um, when we were researching, uh, 
research being such a loose term in, in my sense. When I was basically like poking around on the web to, to talk about some stuff for um, from Case Files 2, both the Cursed Earth and uh, Judge Cow were sort of listed on Wikipedia and in ways that were followed by like the subheading was something like uh, Judge Dredd like classic stories or I don't think it was called mega progs, but it was like major storylines. Yeah. yeah. A- and, and yeah, uh judge child, it was the next one. Like I was literally like, really? There's like an entire year in between these things where these guys don't think that you don't think the first judge death story was a major, but you know, but I sort of get it. It's not major. Well, well, the same judge, way. judge child again is 26 weeks. Yeah, see, and that's I'm sure that's what they're thinking of and how they define yeah, it. Yeah, the, the yeah, the quote unquote mega epic is like the stories that take up half a year or so. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing. I, I think uh I'm I'm very excited to read it. I'm also kind of um both relieved and slightly bummed I'm not reading it right after this because I was I was gonna say this. I get in a really weird thing when we do drug, which is mm-hmm. I like basically this is all I've read for the mm-hmm. last few days. Mm-hmm. And yet I find myself really excited to read more Dread at the end. Yes. Yeah. You know, and these are like, this is like a 250-page book. Well, I don't right? I don't remember if we were recording when we said this, or, or it was in our pre-show talk, but you you had said, like, did you get to the end of this and feel like it just sort of stopped short? Like it felt shorter yeah, it feels than the like, other it ones? Yeah, like it feels like a shorter book than the other books. Yeah, yeah. Um, um but no, like I, I, I also got the end and was like, okay, I'm ready for more dread. And I almost like I did open up volume four and then was like, I'm not ready for another twenty six parts though. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. So it'd be kind of it'd be kind of wild to get to have that feeling. But I admit, I'm really glad that I get a, a little bit of a break and can come back to it with a lot of fervor. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited. I like the Judge Child Quest a lot. It introduces one of my favorite characters and also some of my favorite villains. Oh, interesting. I it, like I really, really, genuinely think it is the Cursed Earth, but done better. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm super curious what you think of it. Yeah, that is that is next month. That is a month from now. In mm-hmm. the meantime, I will start the wrap up by saying that show notes for this episode are going to be up. Let's say at some point on Monday. Because that's always a fair bet at waitwhatpodcast.com. In the meantime, you can entertain yourself with, as of Monday, the properly reactivated Instagram account, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpods, <gasps> and the uh, Tumblr account, uh, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. We have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M. Also, I should have spelled that, shouldn't I? Yes. At Graham M is... At G R A E M. Oh my god, I forgot how to spell my name. <laughs> At G R A E M E M. Boy. Look, I'm telling you, I'm sick, and apparently the ability to spell my name is gone. Yes. Anyway, Drock exists uh, because we are a patron supported podcast and we have some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people supporting us be, uh, above a certain level. And because I've mentioned the word Patreon, Jeff Lester is ready to go. Jeff. Yes. The Patreon people, you are awesome. It does actually kind of knock me on my butt that we are three volumes slash 600 plus pages into Dread's long storied history. And that is uh, that is directly responsible to the people um, 
who throws a little bit of the Mega City credits uh, every month as a show of support for what we do. We are um, uh, this and wait what are completely free. They're completely accessible. If you've got an RSS feeder that's behaving, you can listen to all of our and God help us. I mean this literally hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Um, and what a horrifying thought. I know, isn't it? I, was, I said that. I was just like, oh, God. But it is true. It's hundreds and hundreds of episodes. And, um, you know, we, we appreciate you guys for continuing to um, support us, listen to us, inspire us. Um, and we're incredibly grateful. I, I suppose I should also give a super shout out to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, who... Uh, not only gives us continuing support to this podcast, but uh, continues to keep this end of the uh, galactic rim from going kablooey. Thank you. We will be back in a month with some more Drock. I am going to throw over to Jeff in a momentarily to, to sing us out as as he does. This is his episode, Sing Us Out. Uh, but I want to say thanks very much for listening. It's This is genuinely so much fun for me to do. And Jeff, I think you feel the same. I oh, think this, absolutely. Like, this is really something that is, is really a lot of fun to do. I'm really enjoying going back and reading the stuff. And I'm, I'm seeing things I've never seen before in, in these comics, which are some of my favorite comics. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it feels really uh, educational to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's so, yeah, hugely I, I educational for me. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, on that uh, warm note, let let us end it like all the best heartwarming dread stories and say, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the ISO cubes. <laughs>